I'm Janice Young, and my husband, Sean, we just thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to speak and share just a little bit of our story with you today. Um, and we really hope that you'll just be um, encouraged by something that you hear today or and learn something of value. Um, and like Sean said, uh, when we were preparing to speak today, there was just so, so much information that we thought, oh, we should talk about this and share about that. But honestly, it, it just is so, it would be so overwhelming and too much information. So we just pray that the Holy Spirit would just guide us to speak about the things that would have the most meaning to you today and just really that would bring the most honor to, to God and to Jesus Christ. Um, we've attended Three Crosses for um, just over 20 years now and um, currently I serve in the prayer room which I absolutely love um, and previously I uh, led the ministry called Safely Home. I'm not sure if any of you heard about it. We kind of kept it a little low-key. It was um, ministry to support parents who had um, a daughter or a child exploited in the life of human trafficking. Um, uh, I work here in Castro Valley as a dental hygienist, and for fun, Sean and I like to travel. Um, a little bit about me. I grew up in Oakland. Um, I work as a radiologic and CAT scan technologist for the last 24 years. We've been married for 28 years, and we have two adult um, children that are in college, one boy, one girl. And one of the things we also like to do for fun is go on lots of hikes. So, um, yeah, that's right. Um, well, the reason we're here today is because um, we used to be Mormon, and we found out pretty soon after coming here to Three Crosses that that's actually something kind of interesting or intriguing for um, people, and they want to know, and they have questions. So um, the first thing about the Mormon church we want to share with you is the official name of the church is actually called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And... Sean also likes to call it uh, the Church of Cheese and Rice and Rattle Day Snakes. Okay. It's kind of a joke for definitely many of the a members. joke. That's an inside joke, but it's also it's well known among the church members. So. so Sean and I do together like to joke and have a lot of fun. That's just what we do. And so if we ever seem like we're making light of anything. We don't want it to come across as disrespectful. And one of the ways that we've kind of coped with some of the challenges of being in a religion like we were in and now coming out and understanding our freedom in Christ is that we do have little inside jokes and little things that from time to time we're, we're, we're so enmeshed in our faith in the Mormon church previously that those things come up quite often, and sometimes we'll just break out in, you know, an old hymn that we used to know or something, and so we do have some laughs, and, but we'd like for you to know that our faith was very, very near and dear to us, and that 
it is actually really hurtful when a person criticizes the church or talks disrespectfully about it, even though we understand where you're coming from in those things, but yet sometimes it, it can be like when you have a brother that you like to beat up on or a sister you like to beat up on or tease, and but then when someone else does it, you get mad at them, right? So it's like okay for you to do, but not them. <laughs> so that's where we're coming from on that. Um, so a little bit about how we became Mormon. So first of all, um, our stories are totally different, but then they kind of come together. So we want to kind of weave that and present that. I was born into the church, meaning that my mom and dad were both members of the LDS Mormon church before I was born. And so I was born into the church and raised up in the church my whole life, primarily by my mother because my parents were divorced when I was around three. So I was raised by her in the church all the way through from birth um, and was baptized at eight years of age, which is the typical age for baptism in the Mormon church. And then I went away to college. Oh, this picture that's up there is my baptism. So that's the first thing. I have to remember that there's pictures yeah. um, so that we can comment on what, what's up there. So that's the missionary that baptized me. And um, that's just um, kind of the beginning of my life. <laughs> um, when um, I went away to college, um, I went away, uh, well, this is actually growing up in the church again. This is um, my youth group, which I was very close to. And um, so, yeah, we had a lot of fun, and that was like my life and my, my community back then. Okay, so, John? Um, as for me, how I became a uh, LDS or Mormon, um, I'm what would be classified as a convert. So not born in the church, but the history on my side is quite different than Janice's. On my dad's side, uh, last name being Young, our, we have Mormon pioneer lineage going all the way back to Brigham Young. Uh, we were actually... Uh, some cheesemakers for the saints, as they call them, saints being members at the time as they traveled across from the United States, uh, from East Coast all the way on over to where they uh, established in Utah. Um, so, but when my dad met my mother, um, he was not practicing his Mormon religion. However, my mom was a devout Catholic, and they, at the time they didn't feel that was an issue. So when they got married, they raised all the kids Catholic, but at some point in time, they got a divorce, and however, my dad was very much involved in our lives, uh, the kids, and around 12, I became uh, interested in the Boy Scout program that they offered at the Mormon church. So I got to realize and get to know the kids there a little bit. Um, probably right around the age of 16, 17, is when I started really trying to understand the difference between Catholicism that I practice and Mormonism. And I did see there was a difference, quite a bit of a difference. And there were many aspects about the Mormon religion that I liked. I liked how it was very well organized, uh, youth groups, um, the people really felt genuine, um, and, but yet at the same time, I felt um, devoted to Catholicism. 
But as time went on, I just realized that, um, you know, I filled out and read the Book of Mormon and many different things, and I joined the church. And uh, I, for me, that was probably one of the most happiest things and experiences that I've ever, ever had at that time as a young man. So that was my first um, conversion story, I guess, as, you know, a young man, you know. So I'm noticing up behind us on the wall some of the pictures that have been coming up. And I noticed first there was one that said uh, the young womanhood recognition. And then um, there was another one that was um, my seminary graduation certificate. Um, and then was Sean's Eagle Scout um, certificate. And what happened was as we were preparing for this, we started looking through all of our achievements mm -hmm. through the years and all the things that meant a lot to us. And we, I, it almost sort of like became a competition where I was like, well, if you're gonna put your Eagle Scout award up there, I have to put my young women's recognition, <laughs> my seminary graduation. And, um, and then it, it really started to remind us of how many steps to achievement there are within the LDS faith. And um, one of the things I think, you know, that we learned in the church was that we're striving for perfection in this life. And we're doing all these things, we're setting goals, we're, we're working towards um, just basically being the best possible people that we can be because we as Mormons believed that we're saved by grace after all you can do. And those are the key words. So um, we're gonna talk a little bit about, um, some people ask, well, aren't Mormons just another denomination of the Christian church? Um, what, what makes the Mormon religion so different? And so here are just, we started to compile a list and. Oh my gosh, it, it started getting so long, we ended up up like to the wee hours of the night, and I'm thinking, if I see you nodding off, I'll know you've had enough. But... Okay, so um, there's good intent in a lot of these rules, and they, they lead individuals to live a good moral life, but the problem and the challenge, as you know, learning about the laws that the Jews tried to live under is that there is a lot, it, it's very difficult or impossible to live up to all these laws. So, um, but here are some things that I would say are laws that, or rules that, we'll try to foc stay focused on the ones that are kind of different, and we're going to take turns. Let uh -huh. us know if you get tired. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Done. Okay. All right. Mormons believe that they are the only true church on the face of the earth sanctioned by Jesus Christ himself. So in other words, the other ones don't really count. All right. They believe in, they believe in faith in God, and they do believe in Jesus. So some people ask, do Mormons believe in Jesus? Yes, they do. But their faith in God is um, based on that God that they understand him to be. Um, God is um, three separate personages. God the Father, who has a body. Jesus Christ, who has a body. And the Holy Ghost. He's a spirit. And they call that the Godhead. So that's their understanding. Um, God was once a man. And he earned his Godhead. 
and as God once was, men can become, is what they believe, which is interpreted to mean that people can become gods, okay? Literally. So, um, let's see. There's also areas where there's the Joseph Smith's translation of the King James Bible as scripture. These are the different, what we call canonized uh, doctrine. Uh, the Book of Mormon. Uh, there's also other writings called uh, the DNC, uh, the Pearl of Great Price. Um, these are basically doctrines that are always referred to, but they're not necessarily the ones that are really taught about the higher doctrines that are in the church. Most everyday members basically know about the basic stuff. And you don't really know the higher doctrines until you go and enter into the temple. And I said the temple means the actual temple that we're all familiar here in the Bay Area is the, in the Oakland Hills. I don't think we have a picture, but uh, many different, many different um, states in the United States have their different temples. And um, you kind of learn about the different things in the afterlife, what they're expecting uh, for your salvation in order to become and move towards your Godhead or for uh, to become like God. Um, so that's just give you a little insight about that. Okay, and just taking a break from all the beliefs and teachings, I think this would be a good time to point out or mention that Sean and I, we met in college at BYU-Idaho, um, and Sean had returned from, oh, this was us in college. This is actually one of our first dates. And um, we met at a dance. We love to dance. And we um, dated not for very long because that's just kind of common in the Mormon world. We met and got married fairly quickly. Um, we got married in the temple. So I think there's a picture of us in the temple. That's the Seattle um, temple where we were married, and at the time I was 19, and how old were you, honey? Uh, you had just turned yeah. 19, and I was still 21. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So, <laughs> the amazing thing about the being raised in the church, and he was actually really surprised about this, is how there's these higher doctrines that you learn, but you only learn these higher doctrines as you're getting ready to go into the temple or after you go to the temple and in the temple. So even though I was raised in the church and it's all I ever knew and I was fully in and fully devoted and went along with all of it, I started to learn about some of these higher doctrines and teachings just around this point in my life, okay? So, um, Let's talk a little bit more about some of these teachings. Um, they believe that before we lived here on earth, we were spirit beings created by Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, and we were in heaven awaiting our turn on earth to receive a body. Uh, the keys of the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthood, um, they believe, was given to the Mormon church. In other words, it was restored. In order to be restored, they felt that they had, at some point, had lost it. And they believe that happened during the time when the, um, the deaths um, of the apostles from old. 
um, and they believe by having that special authority or priesthood that it gave them rights to establish Christ's church back on the earth. Did you have that priesthood, honey? I sure did. I had it um, bestowed the Aaronic and the Melchizedek priesthood, um, two different ages, one when I was 16 for the Aaronic and the Melchizedek when I was 19 before I went on my mission to New Zealand uh, and also to San Antonio, Texas for the two years that uh, I was on my mission from 1987 to 1989. Um, the Mormon faith teaches baptism by immersion and one of the things that we came across last night when we were looking through all of our old um, papers and books and notes were all the steps that a person has to go through to become prepared to be baptized. Mm -hmm. Did you want, do you remember anything? Did you want to mention that or? It, well, in preparation um, for baptism, I think, well, what I used as a missionary, uh, you know, you, you had to pretty much, <laughs> you pretty much had to explain to people, you know, they had to give up certain habits and the whole bit, you know, things like uh, smoking, drinking alcohol, um, relationships outside of marriage and infidelity and all these different things. Um, but one of the things that were most important, you had to believe in the restoration of what they call the gospel. In other words, you had to believe in Joseph Smith as being the founder and the restorer of the church. So that alone, if you did not believe that, you cannot become a member of the church. That was essential. Yeah you, no, yeah, you couldn't become a... And, and when we say member of the church, we're literally talking about you had to be the act of baptism. That's what classified you as a member of the church, not someone who just would claim because they're attending church. Um, so they also believe in receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is done after baptism. The priesthood holder, the Melchizedek priesthood holder, um, actually several of them actually use the oil and they, they do the laying on of hands on the, the head of the person who is and receiving the Holy Ghost, they call it. Um, oh, and other things the church believed. They believed in the Ten Commandments, which is pretty standard. Um, and I already hit on the, about the word. It's called Word of Wisdom. It's more like a health code. Um, they don't want their members to drink, smoke, you know, number of different things like that, uh, use drugs, which is a sense... No coffee? Oh, I forgot about that. We'll talk about that later, we'll you guys. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> so, also, um, the strict observation of the Sabbath. Now, when That's I grew up, I remember big my... Thing. Huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the strict observation of the Sabbath. So in other words, when, when on Sunday, my dad said, the only thing we can watch on TV was like... Um, nature shows. Nature shows or maybe some other religious show, but it had to be very like conservative. But that was it. No shopping, no eating out, no, Going to baseball no movies, games. no restaurants, yeah, nothing. No Stay home and write a letter to your grandmother. That's, yeah, that's no, it. No you know, community barbecues or anything like that of the sort. So. So, um, and then of course there's lots of rules pertaining to modesty and dress, what you can wear, what you can't wear, um, what you can, you know, as far as entertainment, no, no R-rated movies ever. Um, 
um, daily scripture reading, prayer and journal writing are all part of just what you do. It's not just like do this and it'll help you and you'll love it and you'll grow. It's like, no, you kind of are expected to do these things. So if you're not doing them, you're always feeling under some sort of guilt. Oh, I'm not doing this enough. I'm not um, not doing what I'm supposed to be doing if you're not doing those things. Um, and then everyone receives uh, callings in the church, um, meaning that um, they have no paid, um, there's nobody paid um, to hold any offices, the bishops, the um, the whole organization is all um, callings that you're given. So a person is called to hold each of those positions. So at any given time, you'll have a different calling. And you're expected to accept the calling you're given. It's not related to what your gifts are. It's just they give you your calling. You will be a teacher in the primary, which is like the children's ministry. Or you will be a teacher or a leader in the women's ministry or you'll be a bishop or just whatever. It's usually based on your worthiness or um, whatever they deem, you know, it's not necessarily something you, you would want or choose or based on your gifts. Um, and then you're expected to fulfill those callings as well as general callings that almost everybody has, um, like becoming a home or visiting teacher, you're assigned somebody that you're supposed to teach and visit and bring cookies to, and, oh, who speaks on Sunday since they don't have paid pastors, you might wonder. Um, everyone in the church is basically assigned a week, so every Sunday there may be three speakers, so you would be chosen, Rita. Next Sunday, please give a talk on prayer. <laughs> Vern, you're speaking um, three weeks from now. Please speak on baptism. And so that's how it works. So everybody um, becomes very used to public speaking. So actually, maybe that might be have been beneficial in this circumstance because, you know, you grow up in the church speaking and um, bearing your testimony is something that's regularly done every month. One Sunday a month there is fast Sunday, everybody fasts on that day, and um, you're given the opportunity to get up and bear your testimony. Okay, we're almost done this exhaustive list, but believe me, there is more, but we're not going to go on and on. There's really just a couple more we're going to mention. Um, um, there's something in the Mormon church called eternal progression. That way, it's a way you uh, work your way up to become godlike, literally. I think I hit on that a little earlier. Um, and that's through certain ordinances that are done in the temple and promises and oaths that you make. Um, you don't reveal those specifics. Those specifics are what's required for when you go in the afterlife. There's different handshakes and symbols and things that you have to recognize in order to pass through what they call the veil from uh, the afterlife into actually the celestial kingdom, which is actually, in actually where God would dwell. So these are different things that you would learn and you wouldn't just divulge them or even talk openly in an open area, even among other members who believe the same way. Um, so you'd have to be very careful on how you would say it uh, and, on, and, and so much how you could and what you could reveal. So what he's doing right now is really, 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 yeah. really bad. Just, just to kind of like, in a sense, not that I... Lightning. 
No, but they're, they're well getting on that when you kind of, we laugh a little bit about that, but, but there are literally, we come to find out there's certain signs that you are literally doing in the ceremony that you're not quite sure what you're doing, but it's a penalty upon death, and you weren't quite sure what you were doing until you learned what that penalty was, and it was so shocking. It was like, I did not realize what I was doing, and... Um, what, yeah, what you were agreeing yeah. to or covenanting to or promising to do yeah. at that time. Um, one more thing is, and this is actually, it's, it's probably a really, really big thing, but they really believe that where you were born in this life and on this earth, your circumstances, the parents you were born to, uh, maybe they were excellent, amazing, God-fearing parents. Maybe they were drug addicts. Maybe you were born in Danville with a silver spoon in your mouth. Maybe you were born, you know, some poverty-stricken place where, you know, you had nothing. They believe that all these life circumstances, your status and everything are based on the pre-existent life, that life we talked about earlier. And so to some degree, if, if you were born into a really bad situation, um, it could have been due to poor choices that you made in the pre-existence. Um, so if things are really good for you, then you, know, you should be thankful to God. But on the other hand, it could also bring about like a sense of pride, like, oh, I must have done something really good in order to be blessed the way that I am. So you can look at it both ways, which is actually really sad, both ways, e either way that you want to look at it. Um, so going, going on from here, we, I know for some people, if you've been raised up as a Christian, um, it's like you've been a bank teller working with, I used to be a bank teller at Bank of America and I had a cash can with $60,000 that I had to manage every day. And so I just was like, my hands were in the money all day and I knew what the money looked like, what it felt like, just everything about it I was so familiar with. And I think when you're raised up in the, in the church with the Bible and with God's truth, you recognize truth and you know the difference, and it's, it's very obvious to you. When I worked at the bank, if I ever got counterfeit money, I'd recognize it right away. It would just stand out like, whoa, what is this? Like you could just pull it out of the, the money because you're so familiar with the true money and what it's really like, and that counterfeit money, you just right away are like, no, this, isn't, this is not right, this is wrong. And I feel the same way, you know, for, for me being raised up in Mormon, I didn't have that experience of knowing the truth. So all of these things I was okay with and I accepted and I believed these teachings. And at some point for both of us, there were obviously seeds of doubt planted. And so some of you, you know, wonder, well, you know, how do you... How do you speak to a Mormon? How do you talk to a Mormon? And we'll talk more about that later, but I just want to give you a little into my brain at the age of 19 when I had a little doctrinal concern and how I handled it in my mind, okay? This is, uh, this is when we were at Rick's College and we just met. I recently met um, a young man, Sean Young. I love him and we have 
become so close to each other. He is a returned missionary. We plan to get married this coming summer. We both have the same righteous intents. Right now I'm struggling with my mind and my heart. Sean brought up the issue of plural marriage or polygamy in the church's past. And to me, this subject is the most upsetting and hard to understand thing which I've ever had to deal with. Through reading, he has discovered that the millennium, this ordinance is going to be reestablished. The agony I feel inside my chest and in my gut when I think of having to share the man I love more than anyone else on the earth with someone else is overwhelming. It seems as though sex is the most sacred and personal part of the entire relationship between two companions. This is going to be given to all these other women also? I am so weak. My emotions overwhelm me when I discover that this eternal companion, the one I thought was mine and only mine, is no longer. I know that this church is true, yet it seems so cruel. I am beginning to understand the purpose of the plan. The plan is said to be a divine plan. For this reason, I must gain a testimony of this, for it is of God. God would never hurt me. This plan is only for the most righteous and choice souls. Many lives have not yet been lived. Souls haven't been given the ch chance to receive a body. So they will be given this opportunity during the millennium because they are more, because there are more worthy women and not enough men. The men will have to be shared. The, although I'm not accepting this very well right now, I know that now is a good time to pray and to find out of its truthfulness and gain a testimony of it so that if or when the situation occurs, I will be and Sean will be worthy of practicing it and receive the blessings I will deserve for making such an enormous, enormous sacrifice. So it's, it's kind of like, what? <laughs> Whoa, right? Okay, but that, that I mean, how else to give you an insight into how a person thinks other than right out of the pages of my journal, so. Um, for me, that was, obviously, was a big issue, right? A seed of doubt, and yet, how did I deal with it? I, I, I worked towards increasing my testimony of the church because that's all I'd known to do, and that's, that's what I believed was the right thing. So, Sean, when did you first start having your first seeds of doubt? Um, my first seeds of doubt were a little different. Um, uh, mine started actually right about when I was getting ready to go on my mission to New Zealand. And I had came across um, one of the, I guess, popular books that the church had put out or that was available that gave insight on, I would call it the, um, why they were denying blacks or their descendants the priesthood ability and also the temple endowments, which were both um, necessary um, to move forward for the exaltation, as they call it. And since I have ancestry black blood on my mom's side, who's Creole, that was somewhat of a concern for me. But I, just before leaving, I didn't give much thought about it too much. I just did everything based on my current faith, and went on my mission, 
you know, uh, honorably. I was able to be discharged after two years. Um, but in the back of my head, this was like a little tiny seed that was planted. And the more I studied about and prayed and fasted and did all the good things that a, a good Mormon's supposed to do when they're struggling with any issues, um, you kind of work through it. But the more I prayed to God to give me a stronger testimony in these areas, it wasn't working. So I started praying for truth. And praying for truth suddenly started, it's kind of scary in a way. I try to explain it this way. Um, imagine you, you're married and you are de totally devoted to her and you love everything about her, you would do nothing to hurt her. You would build her up. You would only say good things, and you would live your life in demonstrating in the public, behind closed doors, whatever it may be. This is how I live my life, being a Mormon. Um, and then to come to find out as I was studying and researching that it was not as it was, that the leaders of the church who believed in these certain doctrines that I like to read from a book. Um, Brigham Young, my, one of my descendants, um, and not only him, but many others, they had a view of the black race quite kind of disturbing and you know I had to deal with that and come to the realization at, at some point either what was being said was totally true or totally false and I realized that God is not the author of confusion but man is and it states that in the Bible very clearly so what I'm going to share with you is a quote from Brigham Young. Uh, he made a very strong statement on this matter that we're talking about, and he quotes, <clears throat> I would like the President of the United States and all the world to hear this. Shall I tell you the law of God in regard to the African race? If the white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes his blood with the seed of Cain, Cain was referenced to blacks. The penalty under the law of God is death on the spot. This will always be so, unquote. And then he goes on and talks about um, how uh, to go against this commandment of God would be to sin. Those who willfully sin with their eyes open to this wrong will not be surprised to find that they will be separated from the presence of God in the world to come. This is spiritual death. They kind of put it that way. So it's, he made it very clear, and there's other places that other prophets after him supported that or gave more insight on, but basically that was the essence of it. So it was no one particular prophet that made it you know, crazy statement, I would call it. But they supported it all the way up until 1978, which they didn't allow blacks or anyone's with descendants 
to become priesthood holders and also to be able to be married in the temple. So that was a change in doctrine which had previously stated that that wouldn't happen. Correct. So that was one of the cha many changing doctrines actually mm -hmm. that have happened throughout the years and those changing doctrines are usually are always because the prophet has a new revelation. They believe in a prophet with modern day revelation so things can change at any time. Um, and they do change. And then some of the old information is covered up. So um, one of the amazing things is God has just really blessed us to have access to some really early original church teachings like this book he's reading out of because he has his family history in the church and some books have been passed on, along to him. Um, there are people that would probably be in the church today that would just say that's a lie mm. and it's not true. But when you actually have like a book that was written back then to support it. So we, we keep these and we protect them because from time to time, you know, we like to say, okay, why did we leave again? And where, where are we going in the future? You know, let's not go back. Um, so um, what was the turning point in where we went from these seeds of doubt but that we worked through to actually getting to the point to leave the church? Um, there's a picture of... Um, our family coming up, and then um, when when Julie was born, our, our daughter, we were still members all the way up until this little little sweet baby came along, and this became our turning point. Um, when Ryan was born, Sean had been less active for quite some time, and I was still fully active. I was still holding my calling as I was teaching in the youth. I teached the beehives, um, which were the 14-year-old girls. I coached basketball team for our church um, just totally involved and you know Ryan's born and one of the very first um, non-essential ordinances but that all Mormons do is um, when the baby's old enough to go back to church the first Sunday when they're about you know two or three weeks old you bring them and um, they receive a name and a blessing from the priesthood holders and they receive that. Normally it's always their father that gives the name and the blessing and the men are all in a circle um, at, the, at the front of the church and they, they lay um, their hands on the baby and bless him. So Sean hadn't been coming to church, so I was like, okay, what is going on here? Like, are, am I gonna actually have the baby blessed by these other men in the church and not by his dad. So I thought I better get clarification and ask Sean, what's happening? Are you coming to, back to church to bless the baby or not? And at that point in my mind, I was building up, trying to avoid the inevitable, knowing full well that once I tell her the answer, she may not like it. Not only not, not, not like it, but to the point that it would divide our marriage, literally divorce. Because I've heard many other stories that when husbands or wives separated their thinking and beliefs, that that was grounds for divorce. And the church kind of understood that and kind of maybe even recommended that. Um, so when she asked me, I told her, I said, that I would not be blessing uh, my son and giving him a name and a blessing, pretty much how, like, uh, Larry Vole does on certain Sundays of the month. And, um, and then the most miraculous thing happened. <laughs> I said, okay. 
which actually surprised both of us equally, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So then I was like, well, you're the spiritual leader of the house. What are we going to do now? I told her, I said, I'll look into it, and I'll find a church that is, um, will be conducive for both of us, nothing too wild uh, or anything like that, and... Um, AKA no holy rolling? No holy rolling, no flip-flopping on the floor, down the aisles, backflips or anything like that, uh, because we come from Mormons are very conservative. You know, very monotone. Uh, all their hymns are like in old English, and they pray. Uh, Only the organ, the organ and the piano, and maybe a flute on a yeah. real wild and crazy day. Yes, yeah. or or violin. Okay, they really do it up. Very with that. rarely, very rarely. Right. Um, so yes, that was pretty much uh, the difficult part. But anyhow, God and prayer led me to be here for our family. So we show up at Three Crosses, and at that point in time, I'm just gonna honestly admit that I was like, I came from a divorced family, went through a couple divorces, remarriages, step-parents, step-kids, chaos, misery, all that stuff. I said, you know what? I'm kinda getting sick of this religion thing and this God thing altogether. I'm not gonna let it divide up my family in that way. So for now, let's just find a church where you can just raise the kids up with some biblical values because we know right from wrong and we want our kids to know right from wrong. And then at some point in the future, when the kids are grown, I'll probably go back to the LDS church and, and at least we'll have given the kids what I didn't have as a kid, which is a stable, solid family home. So really at that point, my heart was... I understood his struggles and fully, you know, what he was going through, but I hadn't yet gotten to the point where I was like, the church isn't true. I really still believed it was when I first came here to Three Crosses. And I thought, you know, I guess this church is, you know, it, it'll be okay, but good heavens, you know, it's one thing that they allow coffee drinking, but they actually serve it here? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Sinners, sinners. That's what was going in the back of my head, sinners. Now, just to backtrack a little bit um, in my story, um, I didn't want to bring it up too soon to confuse you, but when my dad left the church when I was young, he actually found the Lord when I was about six years old. And so when people say, well, why did you leave the church? Um, I truly believe that it was the power of God because at that point, my dad had prayed for me that I would come to the Lord. And um, he prayed for me all the years, but as he saw, I went off to Mormon college, married in the temple. He started to lose faith, but still continued to pray. Um, when Sean and I first left the Mormon church, like I said, I, I didn't quite understand the true gospel yet. And I came, um, I called my dad and said, Dad, we stopped going to the church, and we found this new Three Crosses church, and uh, we're going to go there. And he was just like, what is happening? 
<laughs> so he ran down to Western Christian Bookstore. I don't know if you remember that. It was down there at the time. And he got um, a Bible, um, NIV Study Application Bible, and the book uh, Basic Christianity by John Stott. And he gave those to me. I'm telling you, I started just like praying for truth, and I started reading those books, and God just made clear everything to me, all with just, within, I would say, like, a period of a few weeks or a month where just truth would just started pouring in, and it was like the Bible was in technicolor. I'd read the Bible and tried to understand it for many, many years in the Mormon church, and I remember reading through my journals as we prepared for this even, and just like, I'm trying to read the Bible, I'm trying to read the Book of Mormon, I'm trying to do this, and oh, it's so hard to understand, and, but yet the moment that we left that church and started to pray for truth, the truth just started flooding in through the Word of God. The Word of God is just so powerful, and like Mark said a couple of weeks ago, that the Bible really is really one of the greatest, it's a missionary, you know. I didn't, I didn't have, you know, anyone telling me, but the word of God itself was, was speaking all the truth, and I was able to see all the untruths that I had learned my whole life. They were just like being illuminated on the pages, and it was just the most incredible experience. Um, Basically, I would say that my dad's prayer for me, I just hold that as very special, that he was praying for me all those years, and that um, at that moment in time, God had lined things up to really bring me to my knees. The thing that mattered the most to me had always been my family, and when I saw that starting to slip away, uh, I was on my knees. I was really, truly humbled before him um, in a place that I needed to be in order to truly find God and gain an understanding and accept the true gospel of Jesus Christ. This, as you know, is not a gospel of rules and laws that need to be lived out or practiced or achieved, um, but it's the gift of God freely given and not earned and the gospel that brings peace and freedom and joy. Um, it says in Romans 3.20, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, Romans 3.23. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, Ephesians 2. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, 1 John 1.9. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Sorry, I left out where that reference was. And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, John 6, 29. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46, 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, Corinthians 12, 9. One of the greatest things about the gospel of Jesus Christ is being able to embrace that weakness, to not have to strive and be perfect, but to be able to just be like, I'm not perfect, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> this is good. Um,
I would have to say, in all the research that I did, and all the reading through all the journals and, and things that I was reading over as preparing for this, that when I was in the Mormon church, I would have to say that the God I worshiped was the church. The organization itself was, was what was my God. And now my focus is on Jesus Christ alone. And adding to that, I would have to agree because that moment that I realized that I could no longer support the leaders of, in Utah and my local leaders as uh, bishops and the whole bit, I had to think, which is more important, my faith in solely in Jesus Christ or following people and leaders? And I had to think, if I was going to lose my eternal salvation by separating myself from the church, I was going to be willing to do it with my total faith in Jesus Christ. So I felt, well, if I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go to hell. But I'm going to go to hell with this belief, with my only belief solely as Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. Wow. <laughs> Okay, one question that a lot of people ask, and this is just how we're going to finalize this, conclude this message today, in this final two minutes here, is how do I handle my LDS friends, family, or coworkers? Um, I would just have to say, based on my own personal experience, <laughs> prayer. Um, pray for them to seek truth. Love them. Be a friend. Be there for them if they are in a time of need. Accept them as they are and serve them if you have the opportunity. And then speaking the truth and love at the appropriate time, always allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you, which means don't be tempted to argue. May your conversations always be filled with grace. And humbly, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Mm -hmm. And that is the conclusion. We finished on time. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.